Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. Welcome to hey, Jonathan. two of this season or part of IRC Book Club, where we've been covering Amp Up Your Sales. You had a good week, Mike? Yep. As you can see, we've got change for the occasion. Well, I was laughing, actually, with Lily, <laughs> who's our new starter, because literally, that's this is what my clients expect to see me in. You're, you're I have a collection of navy suits. Navy suits, blue that shirts. They're all very similar to each other. Occasionally, you can be seen in a white shirt. More if white you're feeling shirts a bit blue frisky. Shirts. Yeah, yeah, but normally if I went to a client appointment, it would be a blue shirt. Whereas I can be seen in either tweed or something well, similar. It's differing shades of grey, isn't it? Grey jacket, white shirt, blue jeans. We've all got a uniform. Brown you're more boots. effective with a uniform. Maybe we should get our clients to make the candidates wear uniforms. <laughs> what, what we're laughing about is the continuity point of actually we shoot all four episodes of, the, of, of each book in the one afternoon and I've gone and got changed in, into a different jacket, which is grey in the same way that the other one is grey. Come on, Johnny, they don't want to hear us waffling on. So, so we are on Amp Up Your Sales, which in summary is eight parts or chapters, each then with subparts, and each of those subparts is basically a little nugget of a sales idea that loosely revolves around the part it's in. Yes. Thus far... We've got a couple of little nuggets out of this one, though, haven't we? We have, actually. I haven't really enjoyed earning, uh, uh, reading the book very much, but chapter six, earning selling time, is a beauty. Do you think that's because Chris Voss is such a hard act to follow? Um, it was so good, that Chris Voss book. It is. I'm just not convinced about the way this guy writes. That's often an objection for you. It is, yes. Because I like a certain style. As the son of an English teacher. Yes, but I like a certain style. This okay. is a reference book, not a storybook. So I just want reference information. In fairness, I think that's what Anna Reno does very well. Yeah, we yes, he wrote, he, he's got a lovely like style. style. Anyway, so we are on part three currently, which is maximising value. And chapter 14 is delivering maximum How value. How get to chapter 14? We're on chapter 10. Oh, no, we're on chapter 14. Can I switch on, Johnny? Oh, wake up, JG. What page am I on? You are on page 65. Oh, my book moved whilst we stopped for a break. Right. Delivering maximum value. That's the point. So tell me about this one, Pricey, because obviously I lost my place in the book. Well, it just it just is what it is, isn't it? He goes into it and he breaks it down about de- delivering value. First question he asks is, he says, here are two simple questions that you need to answer to guide your planning and preparing for uh, your next customer interaction. Now, I've got to say, they're very basic, but very relevant, actually. This is, again, a nugget, though. Yes, it is, yes. It's a real You would give this. this to a person whose first job was in sales and say, do that. Well, you know, he's put here on page 66, and I, I highlighted this bit. What is the goal of this call or contact? Yeah, I land it. Spot on. And actually, you know, when I remember when I first started my sales career and I was working at Parcel Force, you used to, if you had, let's say you had four appointments that week and they were new appointments with new prospects, before you went on the road, you handed four green sheets to your manager with your call plan. Yep. 
And on it was your plan for your call. How many parcels does the customer send? Who's he working with? What is your goal? What is your objective of that meeting? Who else are you competing with? Why? What are you going to say in the meeting? What objections do you think you're going to get in that meeting? And it wasn't a bad way to think. Exactly. Well, his next point is two questions is, one is what is the goal? And what's the desired outcome of the interaction? Correct. They're two good questions. Really good. And they're, what, they're real not, nuggets. There's not many those. people I interview do that. No. Actually. You know, maybe a candidate, if a candidate went into an interview saying, what is the goal of this interview? What is the desired outcome of this interview? Mm. They'd do all right. Yeah, they would. <laughs> and then the next bit, I mean, I like this. I've just underlined this one sentence, actually, because I, I do this a lot myself. Was this a good use of my time or not? After the call, customers will ask themselves. Yeah. And they will. But they don't do it consciously. Most customers don't know to ask themselves, do they? No. But subconsciously, they, they evaluate very rapidly, was that worth an hour of my life? Mm, of course they do. Let's go back to chapter six, though, where it talks about the value of the client's time. And, it, and he does talk, he, he, well, he comes, he kind of goes to and from different subjects in a way, doesn't he? He does, yeah. And he's, in this particular chapter, he's back on the concept of that whole value add to the client, which it, it's easy to talk about. And then what do you think on this chapter on visualising like, value? I tell, tell you what, so chapter 15 is called Visualising Value. For those of you who are looking at it, there you go. Yeah. For all those who aren't looking at it, he's basically got this axis. O along the bottom it says time. On the left-hand side it says value. And then he's got this like line chart uh, with different points. First is initial contact, second is discovery, third is presentation, then proposal, then closing, then ongoing. And basically what he's saying is, is as you move along in terms of time, through those different sales process points, you should move, the, the client should move up in and gain more value from you. Yeah. And, um, a the, good model. And what is, so the, the way it works is you have your initial contact, you deliver some value, but then it's a while till you next contact the client and that value, some of it dissipates. Which is a great idea. And therefore you have to then inject more value in yeah, the interaction. Which is, which is great. And thereafter some of it are then, uh, then again dissipates. And then, and then it compares it to your competitors. It's saying they all do the same thing, really. Yeah. They do initial contact, discovery, presentation, proposal, closing. Whoever's value point is highest at that, and whoever's value drops least will probably win. And this is a really valid point, which is that at that point, everybody's adding value, then it dissipates, adding value, then it dissipates, and it's creating what he refers to as, quite rightly, white noise. It's just creating noise. Correct. And, and therefore, you've got to be the one that creates some kind of differentiation and increased value. Uh, and, then th and then it creates a value gap. Where are you, where are you bigger or shorter yeah. than your clients? So if you're bigger, you'll win. If you're not, you won't. I thought that chapter was good. Really but, useful. But, but what it doesn't quite do is I put uh, useful stuff got me thinking, you know, that's why, it, and I wrote, that's why we do book club and which is why we do do always be hiring is so that we can That should be about, add, add that should be about 50 pages content. that day. But what it doesn't really give me is, okay, show me how I can improve my value above and beyond anything that other people are doing. And equally... That's not the purpose of the chapter no, and equally a lot of the stuff that he's talking about in terms of value, and he does allude to it later on in the book, some, a lot of it is about creating high-quality content, high-quality stuff you can leave with the client. It's, it, they're, they're very subtle inches by inches with which a salesperson moves forward and does create that value gap yes. in their interaction. But some of that is out of the salesperson's control. Now, I had a round with a salesperson the other day where they were saying, oh, well, marketing aren't on it. I can't get anything done. And I said, look, mate, go ask for forgiveness, not permission. 
Yeah, yeah. Create your own content, get it done. And if they don't pay pay your expenses back for creating your own content, then leave. But it, 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 there is a, a gap good chapter. there. Should have been longer that chapter. It's quite a good. No, not quite. It was a very good idea. I thought. Yeah. Chapter sixteen: the peak stroke end rule of sales. And I've got a lot to talk about on this. Go on then, let's have it. So what he talks about is what he calls. Uh, I'm not going to go into it in too much depth. It's a chapter that is, this is very much well worth reading, and he gives a story from Daniel Kahneman about how. Uh, people respond to different levels of noise and what he effectively creates is what he's saying is the a peak experience moment. And w- am I explaining that right? Not really. I'm explaining that badly, aren't I? Basically what he's saying is at some point the client has a peak experience with you. Correct. That you then can live off for ages. Yes. And you're allowed to therefore thereafter dissipate. I think what he's saying there in many respects is contrary to his kiboshing of the sales stereotype. Yes, I can see because why you Because actually, say that. let's just say I'm a funny sales guy. Yeah. I'm just a funny fucker. Right? And I walk into an appointment and the sale and the cl- I get the client sat there and I'm imparting good content and I'm actually pretty funny. Oh, and I'm good looking too. I've created a peak experience, but actually I've done it because I'm funny and I'm good looking. And that, yeah. and that breaks with the... I mean, I mean, I, I think the best... I'll tell you what I thought about it. I put here, I think a lot of recruiters survive on, on the principle of that. So you're my client. First time around, I do a sterling job for you. You go, God, this recruiter's bloody great. I'm going to use experience. him all the time. Next time around, you brief me. It's not quite as good. Next time around, you brief me again. It's not quite as good. Then, thir- then fourth time, it falls off. And I think what the guy's talking about is putting aside to that peak experience in it and then he goes back to his model from the previous chapter yes again i'd like more it's great and i get it create peak experiences i put here how yeah i can see why he put how but he's never said never said how has he G- give me some hows because then he talks about the sales and then process. in chapter 17 to be fair he gets into it a bit so creating a positive first perception immediate response to inquiries and questions and just just to interrupt you there, so in chapter 17, he references, on the previous two chapters, he's used this diagram of the uh, of value versus time and your touches with the client. On chapter 17, he's saying how you can make each of those peaks higher. Yes. Providing meaningful insight and context. Stories. I love this bit. I don't like that. But that's because it's not congruent with you as an individual to sit and tell a story. No, because he goes into stories further on down the line, though, doesn't he? He's got a massive section on stories. Later on in the book, yeah. So we'll cover it then. I just, it's not something I was fond of at all. Okay. Okay, why? Let's cover it when we come on to it. Okay. I just think it's very conceited. I don't know why, but I wrote something here at the bottom of page 88. Go on, I, then. I don't know why it came into my mind. I wrote, I have a theory. I think all this stuff means nothing. Let's take two sales guys. Sales guy one has a massive pipeline. He burns leather, but is a bit of an idiot. Sales guy two is class in a glass, but his pipeline is weak. Who wins? Interesting that, isn't it? Because this is all about being... You know, maybe my mindset's shifting a little bit, actually. 
But what he's talking about is, you know, creating a peak experience with each customer and being great and doing that, that, that little bit of extra. And I think he's absolutely right. But I just couldn't help but feel that for me, if I've got two sales guys, one's got a really good, well-qualified pipeline because he's burning leather and he's great at generating appointments. But actually, he's not that good when he's in the appointments. And you've got the other guy who is not that who isn't generating much activity, but is a real class act and he's brilliant at closing and improving the, his chances of the wind deal. I think the guy with the more activity will win. Come year end, I think he'll be closer to target. Yeah, I would say 50%, 51% of the time, yeah. I don't know why I wrote it down there. I think I was just sort of sat there thinking, it's all well and good, this, telling people to make stories and, and, and maybe I'm a bit burned out with reading sales books. I don't know. Chapter 18, Shaping the Buying Vision. Okay. What do you make of this one? Um, what did I think? <laughs> you know, to be honest. You know, and, and you can see where he's going with it because he starts off with his story about that little sports guy who always coveted. Blah-dee, blah-dee-blah. I thought it was an average chapter that I didn't write many notes. In. So... What he's talking about here is that you can shape the customer buying vision but that's a little the point, bit. Because he says you can't influence the customer. But then he's saying so you can shape the vision. All of a sudden you can. Yeah. So can I or can't I? My argument with it is, you know, a lot of the ways in which he talks about it, for example, you, you don't like the stories thing, create doubt in the customer's mind by offering a competing vision that provides more value, provide wisdom. Wisdom, I wrote all this comes with time served and accomplishment that's true wisdom provide wisdom okay that's great how do i if i'm joe graduate at softcat provide wisdom well the company provides it don't they well all things being equal marketing perhaps provides sufficient content that makes me sound wise that notwithstanding a lot of this comes with time served and accomplishment yes i agree with that and it, it, it's great, yeah, provide wisdom. Well, but what if I'm not actually personally very wise? You know. Chapter 19, be one, being 1% 1 better is, is enough. Being 1% better is enough. I liked that. Yeah, 100% agree with that. It is true. Mm. He goes on to talk about it. Have you seen this formula on chapter 96? Go on. So there's this formula on chapter 96. Ah, Interesting. And he says, probability of winning the order is 100 divided by the number of competitors. You, yeah, and then he's saying probability of success if you, for, for a winning sales strategy is 100 divided by number of competitors plus one. Yeah, and he's saying the, the one is just be 1% better than your competitors. Yeah, okay. So a client, no, he's not a client actually, it's unfair. Uh, uh, as somebody I'm dealing with, I was dealing with recently, he said to me, listen, Mike, I'm going to use uh, you and three other recruiters. I said, right, so you're a 25% shot before I start. And he went, well, yes, I guess I am. He said, but your candidates are better is what you're telling me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But statistically, yeah, I'm a 20 you're a four to one shot. And then what if my candidate's got four things on the go? You're 16 to one shot. 16 to one shot, less than 10%, not interested. Yeah. It's a coverage that, we haven't spoken to <laughs> But that's the point, isn't it? But you qualified out on that basis. That was yeah. good qualification. For me, that's good qualification. He you, didn't you've sat so. there and done the maths, thought I ain't going to win here. Yeah, exactly. Um, Chapter 20, making your sale memorable. 
So the first part of that he says of uh, 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 making your sales memorable. <laughs> I could see your book. You've gone big on the red pen here. <laughs> he says, stop selling and start serving. And I, I did write, actually, I hate this. <laughs> um, and that's not because I don't like to serve my customers. I really, 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 really do. But I'm going to ask you a question. Mike, I know you're dealing with a salesman at the moment who's 27 years old and he earns about £300,000 a year. Yeah, nice lad. I don't think he's serving. No. He's going out, selling to people, persuading them that his software is the best, and then closing the living daylights out of them. Yeah. So I have an issue with that. I, 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 and I do believe you have to deliver great care, and I do believe you have to care for your customer. I really do. But come on, let's not gild the lily here. Well, let's say let's say I reported into you, Jonathan, and we were doing the review, and I was behind my target last last month. And you said, right, Mike, what are you going to do this, this, this month to make it different? So, well, Jonathan, I'm going to stop selling and start serving. I'd say good luck with that. Let's wait and see how your numbers turn out at the end of the month. You'd fire me. Well, I, I'd give you the rope to hang yourself with. Go on, then. Transition from seller to advisor. I can see your page. And I just wrote how. It's great being an advisor. and a, You know, and I, and I think our audience knows I have a real issue with the phrase trusted advisor. I do agree. Um, and that's predominantly because I usually associate it with people that don't sell much. Um, and that's not because actually they're... I find the whole concept of chasing trusted advisor status is a red herring for people who are in a difficult place in selling itself. I agree. The um, next one, make it easy. Make it easy for customers to get necessary information right. from you. 100%. Bang right. 100%. It's got to be an easy interaction. Just make the whole thing easy. You know, we're working on a... Lauren and I are working on a project at the moment called the IRC machine. Yes. Where, uh, and as it happens, we're finding it very difficult to make it easy. Right. Because it's actually a much tougher project to create this single one page that explains the intricacy of how we do what we do. Oh, if you ask me, I'd do that easily. <laughs> and get the graphics right of it. But that's all part of making it yeah. easy as part of our, our, our selling our service. And I think that's great. And delivering value, he's so right about that. Yes. And I do think people should transition from being a seller to advisor, but I don't think they should transition from one to another. I agree. His points are right, aren't they? they I, th I think, it, actually, he might have been better off writing, be a seller who is capable of giving great advice. Well, do you know where I got to with this book? You this don't was, transfer from being be a seller my, to advisor. It, it, in fact, I'll save it for my summary of the book, actually. Anyway. Okay. Turning customers into internal advocates, a bit obvious. Provide unconditional support. What do you think to this one? Um, I think there's got to be a point at which you stop providing support. Okay. And you have to say to the client. So the conversation I had, you know, I mentioned it last week about, you know, caring for this client that aren't getting any results. I'm going to tell him what I think. I'm probably going to be right. Yeah. If he wants to keep doing what he wants to keep doing, he's going to do that on his own and he's not going to be my client anymore. Yeah, move on. There isn't unconditional support. No. In, uh, I've had one last week as well, haven't I? Similar. And then the other one, do you know the one I really liked in this one in terms of making your selling memorable was one you did last week, Sweat the Small Stuff. You sent that book to that client. <laughs> Who, whose reciprocation was sending what, sending a different one back to you? Yes, but you're engaged with him now. Well, do you know what? Actually, well, you, do you know what? We're qualified you, out actually. Well, you know. I'll tell you the story. So I canvass him. 
we got on all right. We kept talking about books. I sent him the um, FBI book, whatever it was. Never the Christmas the book, yeah. He replied with, oh, that's great. He sent me one. You saw it on my desk, Daniel Pink. Yeah, to sell his human. Yeah, he sent, great he sent me that book. So I've never read it. And then when we got talking about it, he said, listen, Mike, truth of the matter is, you're a week behind this as a project. I said, what work has the other guy done? He said, well, he's found the, li- the name of every single one of our competitors, all the salespeople, and he's sent uh, our, our company details to them. I said, well, in that case, it's not something I'm interested in working on. And he said, why? I said, well, whether he's done a good job or a bad job, he's spoken to everybody that I'd speak to, so what's the point? And in fairness to him, he went, I respect that. We didn't get anything out of it, but if you send the book to 10 people, eight of them are going to be your clients. But you didn't. But you sweated the small stuff because actually it wasn't just sending... It's not like you were wrote sending a book because you reached stage X in deal Y. It was a thought... It was actually a, a truly thoughtful gesture yeah, yeah. based on what had happened in the conversation. Yes. And that's what he's well, saying. Well, we were negotiating is, out of the T's and C's. Yeah. So I sent a book on negotiation. Yeah. It was a thoughtful. Oh, ge- it. it was a thoughtful gesture. What he's saying is, it's those little thoughtful gestures that make a difference. Yes. So chapter twenty-one. Uh, so actually, we're on a new part. Sorry. Yep. So the part four is growing through follow-up. Okay. And he's talking about quickly following up your leads through all this. Yes. Chapter twenty-one: the simplest growth strategy. Now, the simplest growth strategy is going to talk about calling your leads. And oh, here's it. We spoke about this. So this is amazing. This is just mind-blowing According to me. According to an InsideSales.com study, 73% of sales leads are never contacted by a salesperson. This has blown my mind. It must be true because he's put it in there. I yeah. thought that was unbelievable. To be fair, I, I have had... I mean, I've experienced that as a buyer. But I think what's amazing, and, I, and there's lots of this book I don't like, but this, this bit I do. He goes, however, you are, however, there's a caveat that trips up many, if not most sellers. Before you can practice the art of follow-up, you actually have to pick up the phone and call the prospect. <laughs> what He's a so great right. tip. Pick up the phone. Uh, it's not hard, is it? And then he no, goes on but, and he says... But, but, the, he latterly goes on to say, you have to pick up the phone and follow up every single lead. If, if I followed up all the leads I get in my LinkedIn inbox... We'd never make any money. Wouldn't do anything. Well, we'd, we'd be bankrupt. We'd be living on the street. Yeah, and then he goes on a bit further down. He goes... Blah, blah, blah. He says, I sometimes hear among salespeople that all marketing leads generated are bad. Now, I hear that a lot when I interview candidates, actually. All the leads are rubbish. Yeah, a lot of candidates whine about that. A lot do. But then I interviewed another candidate, and we we were talking about uh, lead generation. And he said, the only lead generation support I get from marketing is, I can't remember the name of the software, you'd know it, is he said, we have a bit of software that looks at our website that gives me the names of the companies who've been on our website. Yeah, That's yeah. all I get. Now, imagine if that was us. We'd get, one of our leads would be Oracle. That's a bad <laughs> lead, isn't it? A stinker. An one absolute of them would be stinker. IBM, one of them would be Microsoft, because there's some fellow at Oracle, some well, fellow at IBM, some fellow at Microsoft have been on our website. They're bound to be, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I look at who's viewed your profile on LinkedIn, the other day it was something like 32% of my audience was Oracle for some reason. But well, that's because there's so many lead. salespeople at Oracle. Correct, yeah. And we always paste Oracle when we're on the show. I don't paste Oracle. I, I think they're great. Yes. Good source of candidates. <laughs> um, and then he goes and he says, <laughs> follow-up is a live conversation with the customer. An automatically generated email in response to an inquiry is not a follow-up. See, it's like I said, I've had real trouble wrapping my head around this. It's amazing, that, isn't it? 
I've, I, it's really bent my mind that actually, clearly, in some sales environments, people don't follow up their sales leads. That has bent my mind. Amazing, isn't it? But it must be true. Yeah, I, d- I don't. I don't think it'd be nice to get a comment from. I, a listener, I'm really looking it? forward to talking to, to, to Andy Paul about it because clearly, as a coach and a sales trainer, he's walking in and com- doing consulting work with companies where the first thing he's looked at is, okay, show me your leads. When how quickly did you follow up on them? Yeah, clearly. And he's bang right. Yeah, yeah. It's just that you and I are from an environment where... Well, leads are hewn out of granite, aren't they? <laughs> leads are hewn out of granite. They're incredibly difficult to get. And you would have been literally tied behind somebody's Range Rover and dragged along the motorway I can for remember not when I was... In 2001, we had this thing called the lead book. The lead book used to haunt me. Pricey, can you remember the washing line? I can. Well, Pete Ingram... The washing you, line! Pete Ingram used to walk to leads and go, ah, lead, IBM. He'd think... That is the worst lead in the history of leads. What? But Who in IBM? <clears throat> IBM are recruiting. Yeah. And th- and <laughs> what? Then, and then three weeks later, we go, Mike, I've got a notice from to ask you about IBM. Where are you getting on with that lead at IBM? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I'm, I'm sure he did still it. Still haven't so worked out who the decision maker is yet. But he'd go, why not? Why not? Yeah. He'd go, why haven't you asked me where I got the lead from? What now have, he did what it have to, you done about No, he did it to prove a point, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. he was right. Anyway, chapter 22, you've got a lot ready. So the no lead left behind sales process, and this is the bit we're talking about. It's bent my mind, this, that he talks about people not following up on leads. Absolutely done my my nutting. But equally, I know Mike and I could not follow that. We could not. Because remember, we have two types of leads, client leads and well, candidate it's, leads. It's, it's not that. It's, it, it, it's all about the definition of a lead, isn't it? Correct. And we, But we get lead, you know, if you look at, we actually have a system that collates leads. The leads are automatically, you know, we're pretty cute with it. That They find their way into Salesforce and you come in in the morning and you've got more leads than you had the night before. But actually, some of those are delete, 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 delete. Yes. Because you look at them and you immediately know that say, is I not a good lead. I do reply to a lot of them, though. Yeah, they get a reply. It, it, even, even when they're not very good. I don't phone them all, though. I haven't no. got the, you and I, neither of us have the time to phone them. And that's before we start talking about the stuff that lands in our LinkedIn inboxes. We just couldn't do it. So chapter, uh, sorry, chapter, page 113. If you keep your conversion percentage leads to orders, I just like the fact he just think like a salesman. Yeah, conversion ratios. Which conversion ratios? You know that he walks into some of his clients, goes right. Correct. Where are all your leads? They're here. What's your conversion ratio for leads to appointments? Why haven't you called your leads? I don't get it. Why haven't you called them? Anyway, what's your conversion ratio? Correct. He'd probably be an excellent coach. Just not a brilliant writer. We're not loving the book, but I bet that you can tell from the way he thinks, if you were paying him on a consultancy day rate, you'd get him in, he'd sit down with some sales director and go, great, how many leads did you get last month? Uh, 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 how many of those converted into appointments? He, uh, could, he could just ask uh, those two uh, questions uh, and walk out for the day. Yeah, he's, he's earned his grand. Yeah. You've earned a grand for that. Chapter 23, standing out by following up. Now, in when we arrange interviews... The candidates, it's no secret, they get a document on how to help them prepare. Yeah. And one of the things it says at the end is it says, when you've left, why don't you follow up by interview? Yeah. By email. How many do you reckon uh, do it? I think four out of ten. I think less than that. The only reason it's it's four out of ten is because I cajole a lot of candidates. I never cajole anybody. I cajole a couple of candidates into doing it. I don't don't, don't do any with any of them. And and I'll say, have you done your follow-up? I don't get into Uh, that with uh, them. uh, yeah, I know. You just leave them to it completely. And then the client. So I've got one client at the minute. The guy went about has got a Scottish vacancy. The candidate he's taking forward is the candidate who followed up. And he was saying to me, he was saying, Mike, do you tell the candidates to follow up? I said, no. 
But it's up to them. They get a document where it advises they do well, so. Well, I've placed him. He's had the document. He's had so the document. he knows. Yeah, yeah. He, he knows. Says, I know that's in your document. Why don't they follow up? The thing about follow-up and lead follow-up, is it not a process thing? Is it? There's an argument that would say, is that not the, the, the responsibility of the business? Well, that's a very sort of philosophical point almost, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway. But is it not? Is it not the the, 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 the... If I'm owning a business and I'm generating leads, surely that's a, a business process issue to ensure that the leads are distributed adequately, followed up, and that there is a follow-up on the follow-up, i.e., right, Salesman X got 11 leads last week. What happened with them? Yeah, I guess... I guess with that, I do agree with that. You know, if Keith Rosen were here today, Keith would say, that's the sales manager's problem. Yes, I do agree with that. To turn around to his sales guy and go, right, I was just talking to marketing, you got 11 leads last week. Where are you at with them? Uh, 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 right, how many of them have you followed up? How many of them have you spoke to? That's the sales leader's job. Or a sales manager's job, not necessarily the sales director's job. But It's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because on, on one hand, it should be the salesperson's job. But if you're putting everything in the salesperson, then you're into an employability trap. Correct. And what Mike and I mean by the employability trap... Uh, it's you can only hire good people. You, you can only hire super talented people that you can rely on to get the job done. And actually, the real world doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. Okay. Um, and then he says, you know, you follow up on 100% of your inbound sales leads, which I've already said, I just don't agree. Follow up all leads in less than 60 minutes. Okay. Uh, all leads that are worth following up on. Yeah, you should. You should be like a rat up a drain pipe, shouldn't you? Yes. Isn't always practical, though. No, you can't always. Because I'm going to be sat here for three well, hours. You and I have been, by the time we finish this shoot, we'll have been, I'll have been here for five hours. And, my, and I won't have looked at an email, listened to a voicemail, or gone yep. near my phone. Then I'll be in my car for an hour. I, I won't be able to follow up a lead in 60 minutes. And there's lots of candidates who are sat in workshops right now and client site doing all sorts of stuff. I think what it means is follow up in... 60 minutes of your available time. Yeah, if you shouldn't be yeah. sat at your desk making a cup of tea. You no, if you see it. a if you see a lead in your you know if I walk out of here, pick up my phone, turn it on, and there's a, a, an incoming lead inquiry from a customer, literally, I should get my car and ring it. Correct. And the he's right about that. Yeah, absolutely. He is. The next, th so he's got these four points here. The next one I like is measure and improve and measure again. I just that's so important. I think. Yeah, do you know, I actually wrote here, Mike. How I many sales leads do you receive a week? I feel like you and I have fallen off that measuring thing a bit. Uh, yeah, possibly, yeah. Uh, on leads. Bec that's predominantly because we've evolved our lead generation process so well. And the volumes are now so increased. Possibly. That we've lost track of... Well, we, well, we instinctively know now. So we used to measure the different sources of them. Yeah. Whereas we instinctively know where the good leads come from. Yeah. But actually, it did make me think, oh, I'm just going to add a bit of rigour to that this week. If I get so that's the time. end of our two sections. And we've done another two sections. Wow. Well, are you sure we've done two sections? Am I going mad? Part three and four. I think, I think the V is the Roman numeral for the, for the number five. It is the Roman numeral. Is that numeral. correct, Lauren? And for victory. And at that, victory. we say thank you very much for another episode of IRC Book Club, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.